0: I, I like that he has no chance to defend himself. I can just—I can just envision his frustration at being talked about, which is great.
1: Currently, too, because he knows we're doing it right now.
0: Yeah, th- yeah, that's very strange.
1: Let's do it. This is Matt Corey. I'd like to start episode 2B of the Code Violation podcast by introducing our good buddy Phil, who's finally able to join us live and in person. And he's going to add his perspective on some of the things that Matt and I talked about in episode 2 proper, I guess. So welcome, Phil. Thanks, Matt.
0: To start off, I I don't really care, but I'm hoping I can be a suitable stand-in for Robot Phil, which I think has been doing an amazing job.
1: Absolutely the fuck not.
0: Absolutely the fuck not. Okay. I think that's the only absolutely the fuck he knows how to say.
1: It's definitely the only one. Uh, So Phil, in in case the listeners didn't know, I believe that Phil is a tax collector for an accounting firm in New York City. Isn't that right?
0: That's about as right as it needs to be. I probably don't know any more about taxes than you do, but I am a CPA. I work in New York. I'm a big baseball fan, specifically the Mets, which is the reason i am on twitter i'm on twitter as real avocados you have probably blocked me um nice to talk to you all
1: i'd like to again urge all of you to consider an unblock at least for uh, a good week or so yeah kind of see where phil's at he's he's you know a work in progress he's growing uh, right before our eyes on twitter so give him another chance
0: i'm, I'm a bit of an ostopenko on on twitter or there, there was some immaturity at the beginning but I, I think I'm really rounding into form I, I might even call myself a champion now
1: She's a champion Alright, so lest we have some listeners that um, didn't hear our second episode I'm going to play a little bit of a, a flashback and then we'll let you weigh in on some of the things that Matt talked about
2: But It really depends on the opponent Stan never fills me with impending pending doom and, and then yet he wins so I, I don't know Big finals against he who must not be named, but that guy, that, yes, fills me with impending doom. It brings in in all sorts of, it it brings in all these other sorts of ugly things. Like it brings in that that's the Fanini case. It brings in the misogynistic aspects. It brings in the power dynamics. It brings in stupid questions like men questioning whether women can umpire their, their matches as if you need to have like a penis to call lines. According to uh, both these ladies, um, Fleschkova and Rodianova, that as a female tennis player, you have to wear shorts or a skirt.
1: I imagine there's a good amount of tennis fans that would want to see team in a catsuit. Does that ring a bell, any of that stuff?
0: All of it rings a bell. And I like the sort of wistful um, flashback music.
1: As a sound designer, Anytime you're going into someone's memory, you just want to heap reverb on their memories. And that makes it kind of like, like an astral memory experience for everyone. That makes sense.
0: I, I jotted down some notes from what you guys talked about also in the first episode, um, just because that was at the beginning of uh And so you had uh, predictions at the time, which now with the benefit of hindsight, are are very easy to mock, such as your confidence that Nishikori was going to come through that Doom, and he got absolutely demolished by um, Team, who's a disgusting ball basher. But to get on some of what Matt was talking about there, um, the impending Doom, uh, I see it pretty pervasively on Twitter. It wasn't something I noticed before really joining Twitter and just watching tennis with what I'll categorize as regular people. I think a lot of it has to do with the relationship between a fan and tennis player, which I think is a lot different from the relationship uh, between a fan and a sports team. A lot of people remember this joke that Seinfeld made that When you root for team sports, you're really just rooting for laundry.
1: Because the players are always changing, the team can move to another city. You're actually rooting for the clothes when you get right down to it. You know what I mean? You are standing and cheering and yelling for your clothes. Fans will be so in love with a player, but if he goes to another team, they boo him. This is the same human being in a different shirt. They hate him now. Boo! Different shirt! Boo! Um, I'm
0: a Mets fan. I hate a lot of players on the Mets, and that's largely irrelevant to me. I just want the team to win um because it's really it's really rooting me in the interest of your community. Whereas when you root for a tennis player, you sort of form an attachment to an actual human person, which is a new Rafaism, one of his great ones.
1: <laughs> Did you hear that? I read it. I wish I had the audio of that.
0: Yeah, I I haven't heard the audio either. I'm I'm just seeing it as a meme on Twitter now, how we have some great human persons at the academy. So I think that plays a big role. and It also creates some interesting dynamics whereby you see people arguing about shit that really seems irrelevant in other sports, like how gracious my favorite is in defeat and in victory and uh, how, how nice he is and how much sportsmanship he displays. You know, as you become a fan of a player, if you become a big fan... That attachment becomes a lot more personal, and as a result, fear can actually creep in more than just the excitement that accompanies normal sports, or team sports, I should say. For me, um, most people who follow me on Twitter have probably know that I'm a big Djokovic fan. I never felt this sensation before 2015. Rooting for Novak was always fun. So my background with Novak is, about a decade ago, my my friend who's also on Twitter and my real life friend named Josh, you know, he kept talking about this guy and talking about this guy. And eventually I just took notice and took a casual interest and it grew into a fandom, which has obviously evolved into something pretty intense.
1: You're talking about Joshua, right?
0: Yes. Joshua also known as Josh or Alps. Joshua. In 2011, it was just pure fun because this guy who, I thought had an awesome backstory and also had an awesome game and personality, was just, you know, mixing up the tour that had been dominated by Federer and Nadal for so long. And it was awesome to me that that this upstart was um, doing this. And after that, 2012 to 2014, I I would say were the most fun years I've ever experienced as a tennis fan. The 2013 Wimbledon semifinal against del potro is actually my favorite match ever it's not because i think it's necessarily the best match but there were just a lot of different reasons that i enjoyed that match more than any other and after that you know so we played the 2013 final against andy murray and i was rooting for djokovic of course because i always do but after the match you know murray won it was really historic achievement that you know brighton had won wimbledon for the first time in seven thousand years and so I was, you know, briefly disappointed, but then I felt, you know, glad for Murray and thought it was a nice thing. And I didn't think twice about it. Similarly, you know, in 2014, you know, they had that epic Wimbledon final between Djokovic and Federer, which I think for any Djokovic fan is probably a top five match of their life at worst and likely for federer fans the reverse at least before his odd and irritating resurgence in 2017 because it kind of felt like that might have been his last chance at the time but then later in the year you know he played the us open he lost in the semifinal to nishikori it was a good match i enjoyed it i was disappointed that he lost and then i didn't think anything of it after that it was 2015 where everything changed because novak started winning so much that he started to approach or in certain dimensions even exceed um, some of these monumental accomplishments by Federer and Nadal. And as those things start to pile up, and Novak starts to actually insert himself into that conversation, a, a word that I don't really like to use because it's silly and creates all sorts of animosity. And
1: you mean the goat conversation?
0: The goat conversation, which I don't even mind in theory. I actually think GOAT conversations are really fun. I just can't stand the fact that people argue without, you know, level setting what they even mean by that. Do you mean the highest level ever played? Do you mean the most consistent across all surfaces? Whereas people just, you know, pick their favorite and they find the stats that suit them and they say, here's why my favorite's the GOAT.
1: Right. That's what I do.
0: Yeah. Soon to have 11 French Opens. And so Nadal is clearly the best. That's right. But notwithstanding, Nadal is Clearly not the best. Um, so in two thousand fifteen, you know, Djokovic, he was, he was winning everything, and and then it became something more than just enjoying his matches and enjoying his success. He started thinking about his resume, and after a loss, it wasn't just the disappointment of a lost tennis match. Like I was furious when he lost the um, final in Canada to Andy Murray, which in retrospect is obscene considering how much he had won. But it's just like, well, with every win and with every title, he's adding this to his resume and it it becomes almost business-like and maybe a little bit unhealthy, which is why I'm trying to wean myself off that mentality a little bit.
1: I get that. That's actually pretty thoughtful, the way that you describe that. By virtue of it being a thing where you're rooting for an actual human, a human person, then it becomes more like you're not so much rooting for the match win, but for the legacy.
0: Right. Well, and, and the human person, so so that um, kind of inspired a question in me at some time ago where I realized people care so much and are so invested in their favorite human person that I asked a few people who are huge fans, if you were given the option, would you rather your favorite tennis player retire or continue to play and continue to win Grand Slams, but he would be happier if he retired. And more often than not, the answer was, I'd rather he retire, which was incredibly foreign to me as a concept. Not because I don't want people to be happy. I want most people to be happy. But I I don't actually know any of these people. And I'm still rooting for them, you know, in the context of being, co- being a competitive athlete. Right. So I was sort of shocked that they, you know, for some of these fans, it's it's reached a level where, you know, I just care more about the person, a person I've never even met, than, you know, what they do for me as a fan of, of sports and athletics, which I think is really noble and nice, but it wasn't something that I could identify with.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, and I think we spoke about this once before the career of an athlete in really in any sport is much shorter than the career of say an accountant or a musician. So my feeling on that is stick your claim, be the best you can be in your, in your profession and then you'll have plenty of time for happiness. But I think I've kind of come around a little bit on that because you don't really know what tomorrow is going to bring. So I, I probably would answer that question differently now differently
0: now as in your answer would be you you would rather nadal retire happier than continue and continue to win Roland Garros.
1: yes well i don't mean retire before the final but maybe after undecima
0: right get get one more in
1: (laughs) yeah which seems like a good time to talk about our charitable gambling because this is a concept that i think we created together and um I would like to encourage more of you to participate in this. Instead of gambling with bookies, first of all, that's illegal. So don't do it.
0: Well, not anymore.
1: Oh, that, well, that's true. It's, they're coming around on it. Yeah. But the legislation isn't there yet.
0: I have to learn how to gamble in New York now because I think it's legal. I'm just used to texting my friend who had a bookie and doing it that way.
1: Yeah. There's also like the overseas angle and whatnot. But what we've decided to do, I, I don't believe... Phil to be a degenerate gambler um, and I certainly am not so the fact that we're gambling relatively small amounts of money and usually only on the big tournaments what we've decided to do when we bet one another is to donate the money to each other's favorite charity depending on on who wins I have a little bit of a loophole on that because um, when Phil donates to my charity uh, it's actually the charity that I run so that's a little bit of a scam from from my end, <laughs> but we're we're sort of evening up on the the payouts now. So instead of gambling for cash, think about maybe gambling for a cause. And that way, at least if you get busted for illegal gambling, then you you might be able to appeal to a judge's sense of humanity.
0: Yeah, that's true. And, and well, it's um, it's it's nice of you to to say what you're doing is a bit of a scam. It's also kind of nice that you've dedicated your career to a charitable profession. So. I think it's a pretty reasonable request that they, uh, the winnings go to your charity. I, I also think it's funny that you quoted small amounts of money. I, I guess it's easier to feel that way when usually it's been going in your direction, away from me. <laughs> <laughs> but other than the charitable $1 Venmos you've sent me, it, it feels like I've been sending you more money on Nadal's ridiculous string of Grand Slam titles than, um, than ever before.
1: Actually... Based on the last year's um, U.S. Open win for Nadal, that pushed Phil into a donor threshold where he's now on the donor wall as one of our major donors. So, congratulations to you for that.
0: That's only half true because I'm on the donor wall, but it's not even my correct name. <laughs> I, 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 so, so I get, I get. Um, letters from Matt's charity because I've, I've capitalized on so much with gambling losses that I'm probably a minority minority shareholder now. The letters come addressed to Peter Stoller, which is not my name, so it's it's really kind of adding insult to injury.
1: Yeah, that's that's disgusting. I should have fired someone over that, but I I did not.
0: You should have. Well, well maybe once I'm a majority shareholder, I will fire that person myself.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. And I hope that we have that rectified after uh after when the thank you note goes out for your third donation. Me too. Disgusting saints.
0: I think we've pretty much covered human persons and and my, and my take on that. I just think um I think Matt was right. I I also agree with him that I still feel impending doom when Novak plays Federer in finals. So much so in fact that I tend to bet on Roger to win just as an emotional hedge. So those were bets that I've been happy to lose, but Losing to him, I just have an irrational fear of. Otherwise, I think I'm, I think I'm okay now. Two years of losses have sort of washed away that 2015 obsession, I think, where uh-huh. I've gotten pretty, pretty level-headed about it. So, so I think we should stop talking about that and, and talk more about Jack sock.
1: Yes, when we talk about uh, inhuman persons. <laughs> what the hell's going on out there?
0: Oh... I live on, so I live on the third floor and I live near a hospital. So to me, ambulance sirens are just white noise.
1: So Jack Sock, many of you remember his latest outburst towards the chair. Matt and I mentioned we weren't really sure if he was going to get suspended. Not not suspended, if he was going to get fined. I'm pretty sure he's not. But how do you feel when you see a scene like that unfold? I, I
0: thought it was a pretty bad scene and... This was worse than something I'm even sensitive to. So I even don't like when um, baseball players get in the faces of umpires and and go over the top and berating them. Because even there, I feel like there's a, to- a power dynamic just because all these players are multimillionaires and you know the umpires, they make a nice living and it's a good job. It's what they want to do. But clearly, there's still this power dynamic where the athletes are the stars and the umpires are sort of employees for lack of a better word. I think it's really inappropriate to treat umpires that way. So then when you go to tennis and you've got Jack Sock berating this umpire, I won't even go into the, the gender thing to begin with, but berating any umpire I think is really bad. Just to be clear, I know every player does it in the heat of the moment. It's totally understandable to disagree with them, to, to argue with them. You know, I, th- I think that's totally in bounds. But Jack Sock, if if I recall right, I mean, even after the argument, he was just sitting there and, and didn't he just say to her, like, you're atrocious. You're
1: atrocious, yes.
0: That's just really disgusting and inexcusable. And the fact that he did it to a woman, I, I don't know if that whole I don't know if that'll change how um either the ATP or the ITF looks at it. But to me that makes it um, so much worse for the reasons that you guys already touched upon. And I'm I'm not that concerned about the punishment because jack Sox reached a level where the fine's going to be immaterial to him Th- this is really all about the court of public opinion and he's at a point where reputational brand damage is a lot more harmful to him than monetary fines which which would be peanuts he just did himself a disservice while while acting like an asshole and
1: yeah I- I think you're right about that. It's actually something that I didn't think about in those terms when we first discussed this, so that that's a that's a fine point, especially when he's not playing great tennis. These outbursts are only further damaging his stock as a brand and as a personality and all of those things. So hopefully he'll have a come to Jesus moment or something. Maybe Isner can help him with that
0: to that point I mean Jack Sock is sort of. You know, he's he's battling from behind being a white American male player because whether he is or, or he isn't, and I don't know, I've actually heard both sides, you know, wh- where he stands politically and whether he holds, you know, tennis Sandgren like beliefs or he totally doesn't. I haven't seen anything to convince me that he does, and so I always am willing to give someone the benefit of the doubt. But that being said, you know, he's... He's working from behind because of the situation we put ourselves in, you know, he's got this privilege to begin with. So I think it's gonna be hard for his fans who already have a, a difficult time defending him, to be able to reconcile this behavior. I think it was it was pretty bad and it's gonna I think it's gonna haunt him for a long time.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. And then there's part of me that even though I do loathe that kind of behavior. On court, I kind of also tune in sometimes to seek that out because it's interesting. I like to see what the person is behind the athlete. And a lot of times that comes out. Most recently, the uh, exchange that Diego had with the chair, by the time he got done giving the chair an earful about Kevin Anderson's antics, he practically had a date set up with her. It was so smooth. (laughs) Let me play the audio because this is awesome.
2: No matter if he he played good, the point or if I did a a bad choice, he's always saying something. Always, come on, shut up. Every point. It's not respect, you know. You know, to have some respect for the players. Because when I miss the ball, you need to be quiet. Not every point saying, come on, KA, come on, KA.
1: He was so (laughs) exasperated.
0: I was under the impression that he was actually complaining about Kevin's box and and not Kevin himself.
1: I heard that afterwards, too. I'm not really sure. Either way, I became a a fan instantly. He wasn't in any way out of his mind or out of control. He he was totally exasperated. Just shut up, man. (laughs) (laughs) It was perfect. It's great. That is how you handle a a temper tantrum. Okay, so the last thing we had planned to talk about today was Serena's cat suit.
0: The cat suit, the cat suit is awesome. Um it's it's an interesting thing if it actually is against the rules because if it is then I don't really know how I'm in a position to criticize another WTA player for questioning it that that could obviously be a valid question if someone's doing something outside the rules. But if it is outside the rules, then the rules are stupid. I mean, the fact that the word dress and skirt are still inscribed into the official rules of WTA tennis it, like, is absurd. You should wear whatever is most comfortable and allows you most free movement to just play your best fucking tennis. Anyone kicking up a fuss about it is really missing the big picture of how great Serena's return is. And, you know, obviously... You know the pride she takes in in her body and and showing who she is. I also remember from your episode that you said you know a, a lot of people would like to see Dominic team in a cat suit, which I think makes sense. And it also led me to think that you know maybe a fitting punishment for Jack sock would be that he has to play in a cat suit, um, which I don't think anybody wants to see.
1: Oh man, I want to see it. I want to see him in like a in the all-white cat suit with, like, with little bits of like orange Cheeto dust kind of on it.
0: <laughs> yeah, he still gets his backwards hat. Like We're not going to be cruel and unusual. And also, the, the sentence will only be for Wimbledon, so you know, he only has to wear it for one match.
1: Yeah, that sounds good to me. Let's, uh, let's mail the powers that be on that one.
0: So I, I do have a request um, from, from an ardent Code Violation fan. Uh, his name is Bruce... Um, he's not really on Twitter, um, so don't worry, people. You don't need to block him by association.
1: Oh, the dreaded avocado block.
0: Yeah, the avocado by association block. It's, it's happened to a lot of people. While most of the tour is grinding away on clay, um, Roger Federer is currently relaxing and also practicing um, for Wimbledon, practicing on hard courts and grass courts. Um, as Chrissy Ever. Astutely pointed out recently, Roger has graciously supported tennis for 20 years, and he can and should do whatever the fuck he wants. So clearly, Roger is well well within his rights. Um, But one thing I remember from last year was that he spent a lot of time practicing with Wimbledon balls um, while everyone was still playing on clay. Um, So I think the question related to you know what the difference between the balls at different tournaments is and you know, is there any discernible difference in benefit to practicing with a different type of ball before other players get the chance to, and, and how this has an impact on the game? Uh, my reaction to the question was, I don't care, but it sounded like you did have some ideas on that.
1: Slazinger, I think that's how you say it, Slazinger, makes the, the Wimbledon balls, and they have been making the Wimbledon balls since 1902. This information comes from Tim Newcomb, Newcomb, Newcomb. Nuke, nuke home, we're going to go with. <laughs> Tim Newcomet at, at tennis.com. This is a rare moment where we miss the pronunciation guru. Since 1902, those Wimbledon balls have a water repellent barrier called HydroGuard, which protects it from rain and moisture in the air. It's a heavier ball. that doesn't bounce as high and with lower air pressure requires more pop from the player to produce pace. They're the exclusive purveyors of the Wimbledon balls. Wilson makes the Australian Open balls, and Babalat makes the French Open balls. Amazing. A
0: lot of the people who actually listen to this probably already know that.
1: I didn't know it.
0: I, I didn't know it either. But but I mean, the, like a lot of these people are,
1: you know, hardcore
0: have forgotten more about tennis than I know. So
1: now, remind me: is Bruce the gentleman that also correctly identified John Malkovich and Damian Lewis from Billions? on our clip
0: that's correct
1: oh well congratulations bruce and thank you for listening
0: yeah bruce's real name is brian actually if you can believe that um but we call him bruce for reasons that i would i would hope are obvious now that you've seen the kinds of things he he says
1: hey bruce come on the podcast with us so we can talk about billions because neither of these other two fools have uh, adopted this show yet and i'm dying to talk about it with somebody other than my wife
0: okay bruce you got the invite this is actually funny because bruce is notorious for being impossible to get out so if it's actually this code violation podcast that does it then this whole weird dare that somehow actually materialized may have actually um paid dividends for me
1: fantastic well i know you've got places to be and uh people to see and all that stuff have you been recording in front of a live studio audience or no um i
0: believe so what does that mean
1: i mean do you have a friend there
0: oh oh i do not have a friend here i'm alone today i'm meeting a friend who is still at work
1: oh all right well i was gonna ask to talk to her but next time next time we'll get her
0: that's you jess so you're a um you're invited to be a guest on the podcast next time which will have all three of us. So we'll finally actually have the dynamic that was originally intended, which will, I assume mostly be busting, uh, Matt K, whatever the fuck his last name actually is. I still have no idea.
1: Cricks. Cricks. Cricks is what we call him when we're mad, which is all the time, pretty much all the time.
0: But barring one day recently because while he was too, um, uh, I would say too proud, but probably the reality is probably just too old to announce it. It was Matt Matt's birthday a few days ago. Um, so we'd like you all to embarrass him and tweet him happy birthday with gifts and balloons and all the kinds of weird stuff that clearly makes Matt Cricks uncomfortable.
1: And we're going to uh, let him decide if he wants to reveal his age, but uh, it was a milestone birthday. That's all I'm going to say.
0: Yeah, Matt is... He's, he's really quite old now.
1: So, Phil, the most important thing we're, we're going to talk about today is what do you think of my voice?
0: Um, it's fine. I don't care.
1: Disgusting Saints.
0: I, I think that voice is the best one on the podcast. Um, yes. I, I think your voice is fine. I, it wouldn't have occurred to me to, um, to react to it the way Nicole did, but I, I think it must be really flattering to hear that you sound like a bassoon.
1: It's very flattering. I was a little disappointed in your voice because I, I kind of expected you to sound like someone from The Sopranos. Because you're, you're born in New Jersey, right?
0: I, I was. Um, I'm, I actually grew up where The Sopranos took place. Um, like the Bada Bing is um, right up the road from me, as is Ramsey Sports and Outdoor, if, if you remember that from season two. Um, but I'm a little. Jewish guy, so we tend not to sound like
1: Italian gangsters. But you don't even sound like a New Yorker.
0: I don't think most New Yorkers actually sound like the way people expect New Yorkers to sound like. That's too bad. I just think we sound regular and everyone else sounds a little bit strange.
1: Fair enough. Well, thanks for joining us. Have a fun night with Jess. Next time we're on, we'll have all three of us together and we'll, we'll really uh, that's when we're going to hit our stride
0: yeah can't wait we'll, we'll talk about music and hopefully um only the most important aspects of tennis with the, between the french open and wimbledon
1: i'd like to talk a lot about food as well
0: i got things to say about food
1: me too i find
0: a lot of food disgusting so it's a good logic pad.
1: <laughs>
2: Washington Capitals were up 5-2 in the game. There's two minutes left in the game or something like that. They go on the power play, and apparently some folks, some hockey folks, were up in arms that they put their best players out on the ice for this man advantage. Novak's not skipping grass. This this take fucking sucks. It's Czechniato.